Welcome to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. This is a show about how to build an esports business from literally anywhere in the world, where each week we showcase the journey of one inspiring esports entrepreneur and learn how they solved a particular problem that everyone will ultimately face. And now, to your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Now, when it comes to esports, I'm definitely not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal behind this podcast is to hear from esports entrepreneurs around the world, to hear their stories, to learn how esports can create jobs, and to hopefully inspire others to do just the same. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. Today, I'm really, really honored to have Nick Holden, co-founder and director of ACGL the African Cyber Gaming League from Cape Town, South Africa. He's also a gaming solutions specialist at 365 Digital, and he has a wide entertainment background coming into gaming. Welcome, Nick. Hi there, Tom. It's great to be here. No, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time. Uh, I remember talking to Chalwe in Zambia when we were first organizing the podcast. She said, you need to talk to Nick. (laughs) And it's it's like, yeah, we, we thought that that is a really, really good recommendation to have. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited to to get on and talk about, I guess, uh, my biggest passion point in this world is uh, esports. So yeah, looking forward to well, it. How did, you, how did you get started? It's always interesting to hear how people got started in gaming and esports both. Well, gaming, I guess, is the broader conversation at a very, very young age. Uh, I mean, I started, I think it must have been at four or five years old. There was an arcade nearby and I was trying to play up against my brothers. Um, that story grew uh, as I grew. And uh, they were always around about three and five years separated from me in terms of their age. And that always meant that they were a little bit faster, a little bit stronger. So as much as I try to compete with them on the sporting ground is that uh, gaming was the great equalizer for me. Because then I could finally beat them and uh, throw my fist at them and go, ha ha, I finally have one on you. So gaming provided me with that outlet. I, I, I try to turn essentially the sporting side of things into a career that didn't really work out for me unfortunately even though I still love football to this day and then I did the same thing with gaming and I realized that the roof got hit way too quickly in terms of being a top player in South Africa for a game called Call of Duty it didn't really mean too much I couldn't do too much with it so why not pick up essentially the spade and start digging and start building a little bit more of a foundation from my side for uh, the gaming community in terms of hosting gaming tournaments. That's how I started from my side. <laughs> no, no it's, it's interesting. And one of the things I always like hearing people make the distinction between gaming and esports, because a lot yeah. of times in to, to, for a lot of the audience, for a lot of the world, it's like, oh, gaming, video games, that's esports. And it's like, no, they're, they're actually different. And, um, yeah. and it, as you get more and more into the, the industry, I mean, it, it, it makes sense what the differences are. But not everyone sees that coming in. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, African Cyber Gaming League. How did it come about? Because one of the things I always like talking to people here on the podcast is people who started something. It's like like one of the things that I want to do is to be able to have people tell that stories of how how they decided to do something and then they did it so that maybe it inspires (laughs) others. So how did uh, ACGL start out? So as I I mentioned or left off, it's actually a good touching point in terms of this ACGL conversation is that 
I started hosting tournaments. I started to get a little bit more noticed and MWeb, which is an ISP in South Africa, uh, were looking to try go grow out their gaming division. And they started to hire me to write content, make articles, make videos, but also to run tournaments on their behalf. Uh, during that process, I was working alongside a gentleman called Clint, aka Zombie Gamer, and he was doing a lot of the physical-based events where I was doing online and the setup of broadcasts, you know, essentially plugging things into holes and trying to see if it worked at the end of the day when it came down to setting up broadcasts. And that's led on to another big opportunity for us essentially to host a Call of Duty event together. So we did that at something was called uh, Rage Cape Town. And that was a cool little, uh, basically one table got set up and it was 4v4 consoles in terms of Call of Duty, just getting that going. There was a nice little crowd. We added some commentary, a very basic setup, and that led to a, a bigger opportunity, which was um, the Call of Duty World League, and I believe that was in 2016. Wow, that doesn't feel like it was. It feels like it was uh, yeah. yesterday. Yeah, in we, many don't, ways. We, we don't know. Um, <laughs> so that led to that opportunity, and we decided, you know what? This is a great point for us to join forces together. You control the physical side, Clint. I'm going to control the online side. And let's see how this goes. So we uh, started running things in 2016 together, and we used that as a vehicle for us to try keep growing. Uh, the demand increased, the amount of tournaments increased. So timing in terms of starting things, especially in a brand new industry, is so so important. Uh, we are quite we're very fortunate in many ways that we we started on this path. There's still so much left to do, so much left to grow. But yeah, that's how we started ACGL and. Um, some of the things that I hear you saying that are kind of reoccurring themes we hear from yeah. from so many people is they just saw something that they wanted to do, so they went out and did it. It's yeah. it's like instead of waiting for permission or waiting for an invitation, it's like because it's such a new industry, people can do that. The other thing I hear you talking about, which is another recurring theme, is you you teamed up with someone. I mean, let's face it, most of esports is teamwork anyway, so it's not it's not it's almost yeah. second nature to be part of a team, but you found someone that complemented your skill set and went yeah. out there and, and created something. Now, do, is uh, ACGL, does it mostly create tournaments? Yeah. So from our side of things, we're essentially an online gaming platform, or we have been for the past two years, but we started out very much doing physical-based operations. So whether that's an activation in a mall where we're setting up a tournament that side, or just setting up something for a brand to essentially have a little bit of an engagement uh, around themed around gaming, or uh, if that's all the way to the big scale events and broadcasting side of it. So we do pretty much, uh, some people call us a tournament operator. We also like to dub ourselves as gaming solution specialists, because from one end of gaming to the other end of gaming, we've pretty much done everything in between. That's great. There's all kinds of great things that we can be talking about there, which we will circle back to. I also, also want to talk about end division. Intravision, yeah, because you're the yeah. you're the gaming solution specialist at 365 Intravision, and I've seen it's 365 Intravision, it's Intravision 365. It's like, can you describe <laughs> a little bit more what is Intravision? So Intravision, well, it started for me at let me start with 365 Digital, which started around about a year ago in April, where I got brought on as a gaming solution specialist, essentially to talk about in-game advertisement. Right, um, it's a field that is relatively new in terms of uh, digital marketing, 
but it's a field that is growing and even from game publishers side of things is growing. So they actually got um, absorbed by the company Introvision, which is a global company, mostly based in South America, but they've got Spain, the Spanish divisions. They're also part of North American divisions and they're growing out their ecosystem as well. Very, very much a part of the digital marketing as well as general advertisement scheme across uh, the globe these days. So it's a it's a big company. Uh, I'm very happy to be a part of it. Um, and there's just so much opportunity therein. That's quite exciting to see how they expand in this, into the rest of Africa as well. How did they start to get into esports? Was it kicking and screaming, or or did they have an, a vision of like, hey, here's a big market out here that we want to be talking to? Which direction did it come from? So it's not something that they're actually directly involved with esports just yet. And I put that as an asterisk. So for them, it was they wanted to be able to get somebody that it's involved with the gaming industry to really talk the language about in-game advertisement and the possibilities therein and really know the, the ecosystem, if that made sense, from a gaming terminology standpoint. From my side of things, I was showing them more the esports side of things as well of say. There's in-game advertisement, there's Twitch streaming, there's uh, eSports as an opportunity for you guys. So I'm trying to essentially showcase to them a little bit more of the wider gaming ecosystem, which is still a part of the journey. What, what do you think their response has been to that? Are they, are they receptive? Yeah, fantastically so. And I think, um, I mean, the, the, the director of operations um, from a South African perspective, Julian, he's been fantastic and very open-minded about the possibilities there. And I think gaming, we re, we're seeing the stats. Uh, I mean, from a South African population base alone, I think a third of, third of the population has touched a game in some way, shape, or form. And that is only going to grow if you consider the amount of infrastructure that is rolling out. And if data prices, I don't know if you guys know, our data prices are super, super expensive in comparison even to the rest of Africa. So as long as those prices start coming down, as they will and as they're projected to, and uh, more accessibility comes across the border, I think gamers are the first ones knocking on the door to beat that door down to say, hey, we're here and we're engaging. And that's, that's what I think is quite exciting. Gaming, by all means, we are not at the top of the curve by any sh way, shape, or form. We are still very much on that upwards trajectory. Part of the fun. It's like if it... Yeah, man. What, what, what's worse... I always thought, I always told people when they wanted advice on taking jobs, I said, don't take a job when the only thing you can do is screw it up. It's just like, you know, it, there's no room for growth or change or innovation. It's like your job is to just keep it as it is. I mean, how boring um, that would be there. So, and one of the things, it's always interesting also to hear in different parts of the world, the interest by brands in esports because it, it varies. From, for so many different things. And I, I think one of the sectors that sometimes gets missed out is entertainment, the entertainment uh, brands, the money that they spend on marketing. So it, it's, just, it's just interesting to see how, how it all works. Now, do you have, uh, is it, did I read it right? Do you have your own podcast? I don't have my own podcast. Uh, we've actually tried a couple in the past, but we've never... To un unfortunately really remain consistent with our timing at this point in time so uh, it's something that we're looking forward to actually doing with our acgl team internally at this point in time just to talk about more of our operations but uh, i'd say it's a more watch this space than uh, something i can point directly to at this point got it no no we we, we of course like podcasts here and 
one of the things that I find with the podcast is that it's really good for making connections. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. be talking to someone from South Africa this morning out at, uh, <laughs> um, one of the things I want to talk about is sponsorship because the one question yeah. that is on every entrepreneur's, entrepreneur's mind in esports, where do I find sponsors? And the answers are going to be a lot different based on who's asking the questions. Is it a large organization, small, newer, established, online, offline, hybrid? So based on your experience and go into as much detail as you can to give people some help, where can people find sponsors? I think the question is warped. Um, the, the, what I mean by that is for what? It's like you, there's a value exchange always. So, right, I mean... If I have 50 people listening to my podcast, great. If, you have, if you're best friends with Coca-Cola, they probably still won't sponsor you at that point in time, is that they need to understand the value of exchange. So if you are a relatively small brand, you need to probably look at cool opportunities to market yourself. And that's where you can build partnerships with essentially these niche audiences that are speaking towards. So look at the inverse. If you are a brand looking towards trying to speak to an audience that, and you didn't have a lot of money, maybe from the podcast standpoint, you can do some kind of value of exchange at that point. Or I think it's just being very realistic with the stats that you have available, the people, the audience, what are you bringing to the table and find a brand that is equatable in terms of that value, right? I mean, some of our very first smaller campaigns were exactly that. It was hey, we're going to do this so we can pr prove ourselves as a case study just to say this is what we can offer to a brand in a month. And do that by pure, the, the sheer work off of your own back and then go, cool, now I've got some stats to work with. Give that to the brand and give them an idea of what you, you have in terms of value and say, would you like to be able to do that again? But we've got X in terms of the cost of that. Being able to work out those costs are always a bit tricky. Um, but it's something that you can, if you do enough digging in terms of research, you can find out some kind of equatable value. But gut feel is also a big thing across the industry is that you don't want to misrepresent yourself by saying, hey, I need hundreds of thousands of rand to do this if you don't feel like you can provide that value to a sponsor. So if you're looking for brands, be realistic what your audience or what you have to offer them and then work it that way, as opposed to just you've got this magic thing that needs to turn into real value because brands aren't going to believe that. You'll get them maybe to, to answer the door. You won't get them to be able to walk in, sit on the table and hand, give you a handshake. I think one of the things about sales, it takes around about eight meetings uh, to really secure deals. So I think if it's coming down to where do you find brands? First, figure out your value, then find brands that you believe can buy into that value. And if you want to find brands, I mean, LinkedIn, Google, some of your best friends there, uh, you, you can contact people directly that side and say, hey, are you a part of the sales team? Can you direct me to somebody who's part of the marketing team? We don't have a marketing team. Great. Well, I've got a fantastic offer for you direct. Then it's just about, I guess it is a hustle at the end of the day, but the most respective thing that you can do is really figure out what your value is and ask people if you're unsure. Ask if you have any friends on LinkedIn. I'm trying to work out my value of this. What would you pay for? Don't ask them to pay. Don't, don't go out there asking people to pay immediately. Say, what would you equate this value as? I think that's 10 times more important than you sending out a proposal just hoping that you're going to get a brand to be able to bite. 
All kinds of great information there. I, I, I'm taking notes here because you're, I think you're talking at a really good level to people who you're talking about. Know yourself. Know know what it is that you have to offer. Be realistic there. I mean, let's face it. If you're you know if you're just starting out, you know, Red Bull is probably not your best um, approach or uh, target starting out. Maybe down the road, but maybe not at first. So know who it is. It, you know, and be realistic. I also like hearing you talk about. It takes time. People, so many people are like, well, I called them up and they said no. And then, and they, then the next question, and then what happened? It's like, you know, uh, one of the things that we've learned and something that I've learned from Reginald here on the podcast is one of the reasons that we get such great guests is because he asks. If you don't ask. There we go. Yet. And, you, you know, yeah. and also to be persistent out there. So, a lot of good advice you're giving there. Just to lean on that one thing that you did say there, Tom, is a no sounds like a close in the door. Knock right back and say, but why? Was there something? Was it the. Ask why. If they don't want to reply at that point in time, what's the worst thing that can happen? You get another no? Yeah, yeah, you figured it right. You're not risking a whole lot there, are you? Exactly. Persistence is one of the most important things and you see it. Business owners see it. People across the board see it of people who are on social media, who are making posts, who are at events, who are taking photos, who are... People see persistence and persistence is one of the biggest key traits that you look for as any kind of owner of an organization across the board because you want people knocking on the door on your behalf that are persistent and aren't going to give up just now because they've got themselves a little bit more of a salary to be able to rely on. Persistence is something that is absolutely vital in terms of trying to build our own ecosystem inside of East. I completely agree. And I think I saw something the other day is like, persistence adds 25 points to your IQ. That doesn't surprise me. If anything, if you're not showing yourself and you're not showing, nobody will know your IQ in the first place because you won't be there. Exactly. So what kinds of metrics do you think sponsors are looking for? What I guess the bigger question is, from a sponsor standpoint, you, you mentioned a little bit, but if you could expand on it, what makes it a success from the sponsor viewpoint? I mean, any, any size of sponsorship deal. What, what do you think that they're going to walk away thinking, that worked out well for us? Um, from my side of things, it's, it's to be honest, there's three there's criteria, which I would say is engagement is always your number one key criteria, because it does show that People value you as a part of the conversation, and therefore, any brand that is a part of the conversation is valued. That's why esports is so cool, because people are tuning into streams, they're typing in comments, they're supporting their team, they're backing them, they're retweeting them, they're voting on the poll. You're doing things, right? You're participating. Um, second thing in terms of that, I mean, you can go through advertisement mechanics of going if you have something on a website you get in impressions or if you have your brand being seen there's impressions and there's general reach from social value as well so you you culminate a lot of those factors but the most important things for brands it's basically the through the funnel approach is going what what am i am, am i selling any product because of this if you can figure out a way to to direct them to say Hey, this led towards 10 potential leads, or this led you towards 50 product sales, 
Or, hey, look, we've got a bunch of photos of people buying your product and sharing it because they enjoyed it. And then they shared it on their social media. That's that's the value there. Um, there's many different metrics that count these different types of value, but it's the most important metrics for you to show your value is to what what is what what are you doing for the brand at the end of the day? Are you putting them in good light? Is your engagement positive? Are you leading them towards a point of sale? Are they feeling or touching your products in any way, shape, or form? That's also very important. It's something that we haven't had in the past two years, COVID. Right, right. But this is as we evolve into the physical environment. Is that why did you decide, Tom, I'm looking at you now with your headset on your head. Why, why did you get that headset? Is because you touched it? Is it because you saw somebody else wearing it? It's the same kind of thing in gaming. See, People see some of their most aspirational gamers across the board wearing their headsets or their products. They see them uh, having a drink. They see them. It's been that aspirational market as a viewer, but also sometimes it's just been a part of that journey is that I mean, we did a, a whole Tinkies campaign. Tinkies are like, you, I think in America, they're called Twinkies. But we wait, did wait, campaign wait, wait, wait. wait they're, called, they're called what again? Keys? Tinkies. Tinkies, yeah. <laughs> and what was really cool about that, that was just... <laughs> um, what was nice about it is just that people showed their engagement. They, they grabbed some photos of themselves. They bought their own ones. And it just showed that there was a good, fun atmosphere with their product in hand. And I think that's that's also vitally important is that, yes, we are in sometimes esports can be considered very serious, but we can also have fun because we're in gaming. Uh, so I keep telling people it's like bottom of the line, bottom line is we're playing games. It's like it's like how many other businesses are out there that their real reason for being is people are playing games. So there yeah. is a fun aspect to it that. You know, never forget that side of it, because otherwise you're you're doing you're you're a chartered accountant. So yep. No, that's the, it, good information there. Wanted to talk for a couple of minutes about the markets that that you're in now. Certainly, the markets in South Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa are different than a lot of parts of the world. What are the challenges? Would you say are of there are in your part of the world of finding and recruiting sponsors that maybe people elsewhere wouldn't have? Um, I think it's just about getting out to as many as possible, to be honest. Uh, I I don't necessarily think we've got a, a problem of sponsorship in this country at this point in time, which is a great thing to say. Um, but I think the biggest problem of what we have is a an educational understanding of what this space is about. So when it comes down to esports, hell, some people don't even understand the conversation just yet of gaming and trying to, it's like, how can I put this? Is that how can you describe professional football to somebody if they don't even know the game of soccer? It's, you're not going to get there. They're not going to understand the nuances. So the biggest thing that takes time uh, in terms of being able to get the brands on board is educating them and under, getting them to understand the landscape what they're doing with their time inside. We've had campaigns that we've been so, so, so proud of in terms of our delivery. And we, like from an ROI perspective, it was like 25 times in terms of what they would spend on this kind of campaign. Huge, huge in terms of value. But the client didn't understand what that meant. So no matter what we said yeah, so from our side and pointed to, 
Yeah. And, and you were surprised they weren't as excited. Exactly. Because they needed to see something that happened immediately right now that changed, pushed their needle a bit further immediately. But with this in particular case, it couldn't work like that. That's not the way that that was set up. So, yes, that's going to happen. And if anything, it makes you wish you could go back to the beginning stages because I'm one of the things I can care immensely about is our clients, is that we have to be as accountable as possible. We're not a company that has millions of rands behind us. We're not a company. We're built off of hard, hard work. And that's, I think, also very fundamentally important to us. We we need to make sure that these guys are happy at the end of the day. And if they're not happy, I we always try to think, which is the best way that we could have tackled this project and make them a little bit more uh, understanding of our environment and do we need to do these checks and balances before we even do the calls or the proposals so that there is a little bit more transparency. So it's always a learning lesson no matter what level it is at, whether that's at the ground level of, once again, managing a cable all the way to the mid-management of managing staff, all the way to financial management and campaign setups to reporting metrics, all the way to project outlines and scope of projects and strategic conversation. All these things have different little learning lessons along the way, some a lot. But but yeah, I'm not too sure exactly what point I'm alluding to, No, <laughs> to be honest on that side. But I do think it is vitally important that the education takes place for these people to understand the longevity of the space. One of the things that I, I want people to talk about here is just all the different aspects of sponsorship. And, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have a real specific script here. So do not feel like you're getting off, off uh, topic, <laughs> topic there at all. It's so important, I think, for people to hear from people who have been out there doing it. No one's going to look at me and take my advice because I haven't been out there doing it. So it, that's why I want to hear the stories of people um, that have been because that, that's who they, they can relate to the most. So um, another thing I wanted to talk a little bit here is about marketing, Me yeah. meaning that, and we haven't talked about it enough here on the podcast this season, season one, because it's so important to be able to, cre to create an audience, to find an audience. You can, you can build the best, you know, you can create the best tournament ever with the best teams and the best players and every, the best sponsors. But if no one shows up, it's, it's just not, it's just not going to be as much fun. So when it yeah. comes to marketing, what's the best place that that you would recommend? Where where can you find your audience if you're creating a tournament? Where do you go out and find your your audience? I think this is something that's very true. You start from within. So what I mean by that is that if there is a gaming club, if there is a group of friends that you play with. If there, I mean, there's no, you're not going to hold a 10,000 man LAN if you only know 20 people that really like gaming, right? So I can, for example, talking about marketing, I can right now, if I wanted to go online, create a blank website and create, hey, I want to get 100,000 people to sign up to this website because da 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 da, market that out, I get 100,000 signups. 99% of them aren't even going to be there in two days' time, three days' time. So 
Why is that important? Well, when it comes down to our side of things, we market from within to the users specifically about what they want, what they need, and what they participate in. So Call of Duty, we would speak to that audience directly. We would like to be able to get them involved, get them as a part of the conversation, because as much as I'd like to say that that there is a scene already and it's just grabbing everybody and saying, hey, if you're a Call of Duty player, that's not going to happen. People need attachment and they need to go be able to tell three people that they know about this event and they tell two people that they know. The next person tells one. You're going to have that drop-off, but you need the, 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 the consistency of structure for people to be able to join things in a long-term environment. So when it comes down to esports, and this is, I guess, to all the tournament operators across Africa side of things, is that start small, keep it repetitive as possible. So if that means once every week on a Friday, if that's once every month on a Friday, if that's once every two months on a Friday, because the thing is that you're trying to drive home is the message of repetition of people to be able to join that series so that they know, hey, it's fri- Friday. Yes, we're going to go join that. So you have more attachment in terms of the long term so they can be a part of that cycle. That is vitally important because inside of our sector, we're trying to convert gamers into esports players. That's what we're actually trying to do. Can you, can you, can you repeat that? That is really important. That we're trying to convert gamers into esports players. Exactly that. So, I mean, from our side, it, we're not going to find new esports players necessarily outside of environments where they don't play already, right? I mean, you're trying to convert a casual Call of Duty player into an interested party of esports in South Africa or in your country. So, you're trying to get them that feeling. What is that competitive feeling about? And that is the addictive feeling that I know all the esports players absolutely love. And hell, I, I wrote out that as long as I possibly could in my youth side of things, is that you want that energy that, yes, like get up and go and play as much as possible and trying to be the best. But at the same time, there's also a camaraderie that you learn along the way. So it's the same thing. Some of you guys know soccer, football. You might have been aspirational to to be a pro soccer player, but you ended up playing five-a-sides with your friends every Wednesday. That every Wednesday, that's important because that is where everybody starts to, oh, that's a good player. Oh, I'm going to actually stick around and watch them a little bit. That's what we're still trying to build in esports in South Africa as well as Africa at this point in time is that consistency of structure. So, so key to being able to attribute more longer-term Gains and opportunities, and as much as we want to market it out to everybody, it really comes down to how sticky do we uh, keep our ecosystem. I think one of the things that is a recurring theme also that you're bringing up here is community. And the easiest yeah. way, I, when I, I was talking to people, what got me started down this whole road was doing Mortal Kombat tournaments in sub-Saharan Africa. And it's Very like, cool. it's like oh, because I used to work over here at Warner Brothers. I knew the, the, the WB Games guys to make a connection there. And one of the things I learned is like, there's an entire fighting community, fighting game community in every country to, yeah. to go to. And it's like, so you have your ready-made audience right there that was actually turned out to be pretty good size. And then you can build, build on that. So, so always go to your strengths there. How much do you think, if you're creating a tournament, how much should you spend on advertising? Uh, 
That's a tricky question, right? Yeah, I mean, so, not, not a, not, how much do you have to spend? That that is the thing. Is sometimes we're not we're not lucky enough or fortunate enough to be able to actually spend inside of the space on advertisement. Sometimes it's about our audience in terms of what we have from our side to just speak to and for them to try get others excited as well. So there's multiple different ways to be able to push that. Um, and I mean. I think advertisement spend is also sometimes a warped one because, cool, I can pay, say, 200 rand for 2,000 impressions. I'm using a very low example. And cool, now I've got 2,000 impressions. What did they get me? Nothing in terms of conversions, right? Whereas maybe you go, okay, I've got 200 rand. I'm going to give 100 rand to a streamer that knows this community. And then I'm going to give a hundred rand to this person that's a little bit outside and say, hey, come be a part of it and then try grow it and uplift it that way. So there's, there's different ways to, to make that happen. And that will more than likely actually result in more conversions over the long term. Um, so I mean, in terms of attributing, if it is a large scale campaign, it really depends on what that broader base incentive is because you're doing twofold advertisement. You're doing it from incentive based of going, cool, we've got a prize pool of X. And I mean, you're not going to spend two hundred thousand rand on a prize pool of five thousand for advertisement. It's like hopefully not. You're going to have no point. Um, so yeah, it's very much. I, I mean, if you want to attribute it to a percentage, I'd say you probably look at about five to ten percent in terms of that kind of campaign. But it depends on what you're trying to achieve from an objective standpoint. If, say, for example, you're trying to build. Uh, and mentioning Warner Brothers, I guess, is we did a campaign with, uh, at the time, Sterkinicor then became Gamefinity, where we hosted, a, I f- want to say, Justice 2 South African Cup. So we did that okay. yeah. at Weifold, at which was really, really amazing. And a part of that was a concert, right? And it was a concert with Jack Parrow and Folk of Polisica, two bands, and what was really, really cool is that there was advertisement localized to that environment to come to the concert, but then they got to see esports. And that was a little bit of a cool nuance in how that was played out. And credit there to uh, Renel, big shout out to you in terms of leading that campaign. But that's a different way that you would advertise. It's not being there for esports, but esports was a part of that journey because they've already, that core audience had already been spoken to. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing to attribute unless you have your goals solidified. No, I think that's that's a pretty good answer to a completely nebulous question. A completely unanswerable question. Because, yeah, it is going to depend on exactly where you are and where you're headed. I really like the idea that you're bringing up about bringing music and esports together. I was yeah. talking with, uh, again, with Kofi Sika in Senegal yesterday yeah. and talking about some of his contacts and and. The support that the government of Senegal gives to uh, music and to esports, and it just seemed like such a natural connection there that here we we wouldn't necessarily think of you know as the first thing, but it does make a lot of sense there. Can you talk a little bit about social media? Because um, you know, I mean, you could take entire classes on how to do social media. What do you think the goal of your social media sh- program should be if you're an esports uh, tournament or team out there trying to build your audience? Wh- why should you even be using social media? Quite simply, it's your mouthpiece, right? I mean, it's it's you standing in the streets saying, "Hey, come join, have a conversation, hang out," that kind of thing. It's 
it's you, it's a bit of your personality of what you would deem as an organization, and it's an attachment point, and it's also relevant information updates. So you're trying to get a, quite a few goals stretched out across in terms of social media, and each channel has different ways in terms of being able to speak towards those goals. So say, for example, Twitter, it's much more for regular updates, some certain engagement, um, so lead-ins about information towards broadcasts, whereas if you had to look at something like Instagram, I think that that's more lifestyle and trying to sell the lifestyle of esports across. So it's something that we're, I'm actively conscious we actually need to do less kind of tournament posting there and more, but as we go into more physical uh, environments, that will change. But post more real world, more lifestyle and how do you, how do you see yourself inside of this environment and how do you see the winners and what is that emotion conveying? So Instagram just by its pure nature is a little bit more of an emotional connection point towards the culture of esports and then i mean if you want to even use facebook facebook is a facebook is actually probably one of the the strongest from an african perspective because you can actually wide shot your audience in terms of some of your messages of uh trying to essentially get get new audience acquisition in we talked about this a little bit earlier but facebook does allow you from a targeting perspective to speak to highly specific audiences which is quite nice um and then, I mean, you've got YouTube and Twitch. YouTube is obviously, uh, once again, maybe a hint away from the lifestyle content and announcement side of things. There's much more on work on our side of things of YouTube still needing to be done. And Twitch is quite simply your your playground of live esports wherever possible from our side. Um, but yeah, there's nuances and there is a lot of overlap between each one of these platforms and TikTok even. Um, is a very, very interesting, fun environment too, especially for mobile. And it's something that we're actively experimenting in with some of our campaigns as well. Sure, you're going through the different platforms and giving it some insight into each one because a lot of times people think, this is social media, I post there. It's like, <laughs> well, yes, you can do that. Or to be effective, you can you can look at what, the, what are the nuances of particular platform. Yeah, it, just like you're describing t- so- TikTok. It's like that. That's that scares me. Going on well, right there. you do have to think about them as rooms in a way. I mean, if Instagram is the cultural hangout and you've got a whole bunch of people hanging out there on their lounge chairs playing games, and you would just walk up and be like, "Hey, our website is down. Please check out." The... You can't like everyone would look at you as if you're the weirdo in the room, right? So it's like each one of these treated as a room, treated as a space to be having that conversation in. Um, so yeah, it's something that we're actively also trying to work on ourselves. So as much as I love to point out things, I am also quite, and I think you always have to be, self-critical to a to a degree of the way that you operate, the way that you do things. So you can always try and improve as well. And to always be, yeah, willing to change. That's, yeah, man. That's, the, the thing I want to just touch on briefly was on unpaid media, on yeah. PR. I think, you know, that's... That's such an untapped thing that people, I think a lot of organizers just don't understand or, or just have uh, access to. Could you talk about any PR, unpaid media strategies that, that people should at least be thinking about? Think about it as if I tell my friend something, they'll tell their friend something. So the the reason why this is important is it's from a media relations standpoint of like, Trying to develop media partners, you want to be able to make an announcement and it echo across multiple audiences. But at the same time, you don't want to be doing that all the time. Otherwise, it's just going to feel like 
what's the point of us each having an individual mouthpiece when we're both just echoing what the other one is saying immediately. So giving content over to individual parties that that feels at least a little bit more focused on their side. So developing media partners is important in terms of going, hey, do you have an audience? And once again, trying to find, I, I say this always, I mean, try try find a bigger partner than yourself. It always does help in terms of being able to get your voice out there a little bit more within reason and see if you can also help them out. Maybe their content is one of the biggest things that people are struggling with this day, these days in terms of a media environment because they're running out of content. They want new content. So if you can go, cool, I'll provide you one article a month or I'll provide you with one video a month, even if it's a 30-second, whatever it is on social media post, and somewhere in there you filter in your message, great. Think of it strategically from that standpoint. If it's like... If they're going to be the ones floating the media and they've got a bigger mouth than you, then, hey, might as well let that happen. So that's where, once again, look at your various partners. Look at look at which ones you can talk to that are of equatable or hopefully bigger level than you. And, hell, I mean, shoot for the stars sometimes. I mean, you might be able to go to the biggest publisher in Africa and say, hey, I'm willing to give you a 30 seconds video for free once a month that talks about esports, the roundup or whatever it might be. And one of those five topics that you cover for the day will be, hey, uh, so that's uh, join my tournament here on the weekend or whatever. You know, there's different ways to be able to, I guess, flip that coin. And I've seen that. I mean, um, I think for around about five, five years or six years, I was working at MWeb as one of their content creators. And I saw how people got involved and also pushed their agenda. And there's nothing wrong with you also trying to push your agenda. Yes, because I, I think one of the things is, yeah, because uh, so many people are looking, for, just like you described, so many people are looking for content on esports. We're looking for content. We like content on esports if, if they know it yet or not. But they also, they don't know where to go for it. They don't know where to go yeah. for it for quality content. Because they, cause something that's brand new, something they're not used to, they got to be really, really careful about what yeah. content, you know, where their name shows up. That's the other great thing over at Warner Brothers. Uh, you know, we, we, were, we were always uh, worried about where, you know, where Harry Potter's name was showing up on yeah. social media. It's like there was, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But it's true. It's, it's, it's one of the things that, like, if you can video edit something together that looks professional and well-wrapped, and guys, there are templates out there. People yes. are using templates. Don't go too crazy. You don't have to know everything. But if you can wrap it together, if you can give it over to somebody and even slap their brand on there and then filter in what you need to filter in, great. They're seeing a value exchange and so are you. If it means that you're not getting paid initially, believe me, if they see value after six months and you stop giving them that uh, that content, you'll get a question a little bit later about, so how much would this be if... Uh, if we could do this on a more regular, and will you maybe want to do two videos or three videos, or even on the writing side of things? And also learn early on how to repurpose your content. So, yeah. so don't don't go out there and have to re you know rewrite every single thing. Take a particular idea and kind of make a video out of it, make an article about it, make a you know, um, and do around your passion points. Because I mean, that was actually one of my very first series that I loved doing. As I told you, I was trying to go professional in Call of Duty, and then I was doing stuff with. Um, with MWeb at the time. So I started writing a tips and tricks series on yeah. basic basic weapons that you would use. So first lessons was submachine guns. Then the next one was, and it ended up, the series kept on getting hits uh, because 
they were all linked together. Also a very important concept that you learn. Um, but it was something that people kept on coming back for. Every Wednesday, I'd shoot out these tips and tricks, and then people would try those weapons out. Um, so, yeah, do it around something that is niche, something that you enjoy, and uh, I'm sure that people will find value in that. And also, always, whenever you're getting, trying to get uh, SEO, always start out with the term how to this. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, you know, give, give, your, give your content a fighting chance. Hey, I got to keep moving here. I'm going to take away too much time because there's all kinds of things to talk about. Mobile. Is mobile the future of esports in Africa? Yes. Is that good or bad? Good. <laughs> Sorry. I'm giving you the one word answers. You said you were short on time. <laughs> uh, um, I'll, I'll, I will is... be more careful what I say next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, mobile is massive. And phones are just becoming better and better. I was, I know, listen, I was playing Diablo Immoral the other day. I know the game gets also tossed up in terms of immortal, immoral, with the microtransactions. But just being able to see that level of game on a phone and being able to play it, it it's actually it's mind-boggling at times when I compare it to the devices I was playing on as a kid growing up. And I don't see that slowing down too. Processes are always going to get better. Phones are going to get better. I think Africa's solution really is built off of a title that is going to allow the lowest performance of phones in terms of specs, being able to still compete at a high level and also be free to access as well as low data data costs. And we are in for a winner across the African continent. So game developers, get on it. <laughs> are, are there, there in-person mobile tournaments created there are. Um, from our side of things, we will be doing more and more, hopefully in the future. It's a bit weird, though, because mobile gaming, unlike console and PC, there's no LAN cable that connects us uh, inside of these spaces. So you've got Bluetooth, if that is available uh, for certain games, or you've got Wi-Fi, and that's putting everyone in the same environment. There's something really cool about that when everybody's in the same environment. Um but it's also nuanced in terms of something that we dub as gamers call LAN gaming, local area network gaming. But it really just means you're on all on the same connection at this point because even playing a Fortnite LAN isn't really a LAN these days because you're connecting to either Middle East or European servers when you're playing. You're not connecting to African servers. Uh, which is such, a, yeah, it's such an issue there. Uh, yep. It's like one of the things that keeps coming up uh, we're talking to uh, Ulysses in uh, South America last last week, I think it was, and he was talking about how the the ping issues that they have they have to work around down there, and he's in Chile, so it's a little bit different than if you're in Brazil and so on. And it's it's one of those things that uh, we just don't have to consider here so much. And if you're a casual player, it's not not necessarily a big deal. If you're trying to be a professional player and you're in Zambia. Yeah. It's like, man, you are going to have a tough, a tough road there. The last question I always ask everyone is, should the Olympics include esports in their program? Why or why not? I'm going to say they should, but we don't need them to. Uh, the, the, the reason what I mean behind that is that, I mean, why not? It, you require so much skills in order to be able to be at the peak of your level in terms of these games that it's a natural fit, but we don't need the Olympics to be able to give ourselves verification. I think. Governmental bodies in terms of sporting has been a little bit of a nightmare. And I think Africa is maybe a little bit of a case in point at time with that. Is that uh, 
it hampers our growth rather than it provides more ways for us to grow. So having that privatized has allowed us to accelerate faster in many cases than we would if this was just a governmental push. So I, I think it would be great in an idealistic world if we had a government for esports that really worked properly, if it worked across all other countries as well. But at the same time, the privatization of it in terms of teams and the setups, they garner far more attention than the national teams do at this point. And I don't know, I don't know if that will change. Uh, maybe the Olympics will be a conduit for people going, cool, I'm going to support the British uh, team in whatever that is. But that culture hasn't really set itself up because internet supersedes boundaries. Um, and online gaming has super, I mean, I, I don't even play some of my favorite games on my continent, technically. I play them on European servers, right? And I guess that just alludes to that. I kind of think it's like a, a really, there's a rebel, or maybe I've been hanging out with my business partner, Clint, too much. There's a rebellious nature in terms of let's break away from the boundaries that so typically define us and keep running with our own thing. Um, because it's a really, really cool thing that esports has really, it's popped out in many ways out of nowhere, but it's been bubbling for so, so long. And I think it's very, very cool that everyone is trying to play catch up from a governmental and Olympic standpoint. So, you know, you're playing catch up, not us. We're doing our thing. You guys, if you want to be a part of it, we're not going to stop you. Um, but we're not going to necessarily buy into your, your bureaucracies, if that makes sense. I think that's a, that's a good on it the whole concept of government's role in esports it is more important in some parts of the world than others certainly i mean here in the u.s i mean that's it's just not a it's just not not an issue i mean the government isn't going to necessarily be uh, be in there doing things uh, but in a lot of parts of the world it's important for organizations for a lot of com organizations, private organizations have the support of, of, uh, of an infrastructure there. So it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work differently. But that's part of the interesting thing in talking to people about it here. Hey, you know, kind of winding down here. I really appreciate your time here to talk to us today. I, we, could, we keep going on and on and on. Trust me. So, yeah, but I uh, and, and we should be talking again. So it was really great to learn more about your take on marketing and on sponsorship. And what I liked about your answers, when you're describing, I can see you are used to talking to people who are out there doing things. You, I, I don't get the impression, and don't take this wrong, I don't get the impression that you're talking to people that are in an office somewhere writing a report. You're talking <laughs> to more people who are out there in the trenches, so to speak, which much more valuable information. So where can people find you online? Um. Yeah, I guess from my side of things, at HoldenZA on Twitter is always good. Uh, you can check me up on LinkedIn if you're more interested on the business side of things, Nick Holden uh, or Nicholas Holden. I'm not even too sure what my uh, LinkedIn yeah. profile link is these days. Um, but more importantly, go check out my baby um, that we've been trying to grow over the past seven years, um, ACGL. Yeah. ACGL. Okay. Yep. Yeah. We'll put all kinds of links to that out there. Hey, I invite everyone to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media. That way you'll be notified when we launch our next episode. We have some really, really good guests showing up that you're not going to want to miss. Good guests just like Nick here. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blast. Yes, it has.
This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks.